Hey everyone, this is Anthony Fleming, Senior Pastor of Church Alive, praying that this message is fresh, real and powerful in your mind, your heart, your family, every part of your life. If you enjoy these messages, subscribe to it, share it with a friend to build their faith. God bless you as you lean in to the power and presence of God's Word. Let's honor the Lord this morning too. Can we give Jesus some praise and some worship because he deserves all of it. Got me all emotional. Since you're standing, we're going to read scripture to begin the message today. The title of my message today is Our Wake-Up Call. Our Wake-Up Call. And where I want to go today is that my goal is for each of us to be able to leave this room more accurately seeing our current circumstances and how the Lord's in the midst of all of it. Second Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 15, it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who were with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. So let's pray again. Lord, we thank you. We come into your presence, Lord, knowing that you are good, knowing that you are sovereign, knowing that you are in complete control of absolutely everything. God, we come knowing that you are a good father. And I pray that in this place today, all of us will be able to see different. I pray, Father, where you have been moving in the lives of your people, God, that you would, there would be further clarity to what is going on. And I pray that each and every single one of us, Lord, would leave this room empowered, that each and every single one of us would leave this room encouraged. But God, that each and every single one of us would leave this room with our eyes open just a little bit more to the fullness of what you're doing in our lives. God, we give you all the glory, all the power, all the praise for you are powerful, you are mighty, to save. Lord, open our eyes, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, thank you, worship team. You all may be seated. The great prophet Forrest Gump once said, (laughs) quoting his mother, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And I was working from home back in March. My office is in the basement of our house, my home office. And it was a regular Thursday morning. I'm downstairs starting my day. My wife's upstairs having breakfast. And my kids are doing kids things somewhere in the house. And all of a sudden, my wife opens the door and she says, honey, come upstairs now. And there was this, hmm. And at the time, my daughter had been having some emotional struggles, and I thought perhaps she was having another moment. And so I went upstairs all concerned, but she's holding my son, and she's got my daughter, and she just motions to the front door. And so we opened the front door, and I'm thinking maybe I'm getting a parking ticket or something like that. And there's five U.S. Marshals on my front steps with bulletproof vests, shields, helmets, and automatic rifles drawn. 
There was another 10 of them in my front yard. They were in my neighbor's side yards. There were three of them in my backyard. They shut down my street, and there was two female officers in the street, which I'm sure were there in case they decided to take my kids. And after some really interesting conversations, we uh, quickly realized that my wife and I had the audacity to live in an apartment building when we first got married, where there was another Amanda that now apparently is associated with a known fugitive. Now, I want to say, <laughs> when this whole thing started, I looked at her, I was like, what did you do? <laughs> um, <laughs> if you are law enforcement in here, all kidding aside, I highly, highly value every single one of you. Yeah. If you are a U.S. Marshal, I highly value what you do every single day. It's so important to my family to be able to live safe. I just wish your colleagues have checked last names before they shut down my whole street. Now here's the thing, I was in my basement working, doing something good, doing something productive. I wasn't down there playing video games. I wasn't down there mindlessly doing stuff on the internet or any other thing to waste my time. I was honoring my family, I was working hard. And yet while I was doing something good, my house got surrounded and I didn't even know it. 30 agents around my home, and I'm downstairs writing an email. <laughs> Somebody say, that's a wake-up call. Wake <laughs> when you look around this room, what do you see? There's, there's many things that we can see. We see the sound equipment, the lights, the screen behind me, the podium. If you're colorblind, you maybe see those things a little bit differently, but you can still see them. Even if you're blind in here, you still perceive what's going on. You can hear my voice echoing off the walls. You get a sense of how big it is. You can feel the texture of the chair. You know that there's a carpet. We all perceive things, and we all see the things that are in front of us. But what about the stuff that you don't see? You know, there's subatomic particles that make up atoms, that make up elements, that make up every single thing that we have in front of us. I don't see them. They all move at this very small scale. I don't feel the floor vibrating because of the atoms, little things moving around, right? There's a little noise associated with that too. I don't hear it. But just because I don't see it, just because I don't feel it, and just because I don't hear it, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that it's outside of the range of what I can perceive. Now, let's be real. How much time do we spend thinking about what we don't see? Probably not that much. And I'm not talking about the pioneering spirit. You know that there's those people that are like, I want to be the first on the moon of Jupiter. You know, no one's ever been there. You know, or I want to go to the bottom of the ocean where no one's ever seen before in this one part of the world. Like, I'm not talking about that stuff that we don't see. I mean, when was the last time you looked at a piece of wood and you thought to yourself, I wonder how many cells were in there when it was attached to the tree? <laughs> we're not wired to think like that. It doesn't come to us by nature. We're wired to deal with what I see, respond to what is in front of me. But what I want to tell you today is just as much as what we see, feel, and hear is only a fraction of reality in the physical, 
It's even more so a fraction of reality in the spiritual. There is more going on around us than we could ever realize. And we need a wake-up call to accurately see our current circumstances. You know, all throughout human history, we've come up with different ways to wake ourselves up. In, Lo- in England, in London in the 1800s, they had people that you would hire that would come and bang on your window in the morning. That was your wake-up call. Four knocks, that was it. You better get up or you're late to work because they had a lot of clients. They had these things called candle alarm clocks, which was a candle that burned at a known rate, at a fixed amount of time. And you, would, you see it's in a metal pan, and you'd put metal pins in the candle with how much time you wanted to elapse. The candle would burn, pin would drop, ding! Oh look, bread's done! Oh look, time to wake up! The modern alarm clock that you and I think about, the mechanism was patented in the 1800s, really became into use coming into the 1900s, and now we have all sorts of gadgets to help us wake up, right? I found this thing that bills itself as the loudest alarm clock in the world. Do we? Yeah, that thing. The sonic bomb. How many people have slept through an alarm before? I have. I would have bought this years ago. <laughs> Fun, funny story. I had a friend of mine years ago. She was so violent in the morning that her dad would stand at the door to her room and shoot her in the face with a water gun. He wouldn't even go in there. She would lash out. Now, if you're that upset already, getting shot in the face is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Somebody say, wake-up call. (laughs) Life throws wake-up calls our way, doesn't it? And it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. Some of these wake-up calls are subtle, like that candle alarm clock or a knock on a window. Maybe it's a hard conversation with your leader here or your boss at work because you're not doing things right. Maybe it's that one thing in your marriage that comes up from time to time. It's a little bit of an issue, but then it just pitters out and you think it's okay and you just don't address it. If we're not careful, we miss the opportunity that these smaller wake-up calls are giving us. But other wake-up calls are loud and obnoxious, like getting shot in the face with a water gun. (laughs) The marshal surrounding my house. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. My wife and I that night, literally, she came out of the room putting the kids to sleep. I was sitting on the couch, and we had not even processed this yet as a couple. We just looked at each other and just burst out laughing. Because it was the most ridiculous thing that had ever happened to our family. (laughs) Maybe it's the cancer diagnosis you just received this week. Maybe it's on finding out that they're foreclosing on your house because you ignored managing your finances well. Maybe it's when your spouse decides to leave you because they'd had enough with you not changing. We get hit with wake-up calls, and sometimes we don't even have any warning, do we? The big moments and even the small moments in life, they can hit us and they hit us hard, but they're wake-up calls. And I'd love for all, us all to consider this question this morning as we go into this. Am I accurately seeing my current circumstances? Am I accurately perceiving my current circumstances? Earlier in 2 Kings chapter 6, the prophet Elisha was causing a lot of problems for the king of Syria. 
The king of Syria would plan to attack Israel. The Lord would tell Elijah what he was going to do. Elisha would go and tell the king of Israel. And the king of Israel would do whatever he had to do to stop the attack. So the king of Syria was getting to the point. He's like, what is going on? (laughs) Nothing we plan is working. Is there a spy? Is there somebody over here that knows what we're doing and is betraying us? And one of his servants is like, no, 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 no. It's not the king of Israel that knows what's going on. It's Elisha. So the king of Syria goes, well, we got to deal with Elisha. They find out that he's in this city called Dothan. And he sent a great army by night to surround the city to deal with this threat, to, 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 to take out Elisha. Now, it's interesting. You notice in the scripture that we read at the beginning, his servant wakes up in the morning, sees the entire city is surrounded, and he comes and he's like, they're all here. What are we going to do? He loses it when he sees the sight of the army around the city. But isn't it interesting that Elisha doesn't? He doesn't get worried. He doesn't freak out. It's like he sees their circumstances differently. And because he sees their circumstances differently, he responds differently. Still an army outside of the walls, not that it doesn't exist. Still the same amount of people with swords and chariots and whatever that are there to hurt them. And yet he responds to that perception differently. If I had to put a subtitle on this message today, it would be called Faith Versus Fear. Our wake-up call, Faith Versus Fear. And what I want to do is look to the servant's experience and see what you and I can glean out of it so that whether you're getting a wake-up call now or whether you're going to get one, or maybe there was a wake-up call and you missed it, What do we get out of the servant's experience that can help inform the way you and I respond when circumstances change in our world? My first thought to you today is draw closer to people who already see. Draw closer to people who already see. Like I said, it was weird. It was like Elisha saw the same thing that the servant saw, but he responded different. Why did he respond differently? Earlier in 2 Kings, in chapter 2, there's another prophet named Elijah. You know, you would think that the Lord, with two significant prophets, would have somehow differentiated their names just a little bit more. Elijah was the prophet. Elisha was his protege, was the man who was serving under him, was the man who was learning, was the man who was being trained by Elijah. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 to 12, it says this. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. Elijah already knew that the Lord was going to take him, that his time on earth was limited. He knew that this was coming. And Elisha said, please let there be a double, of your portion, a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Elijah's basically like, it's up to the Lord. And if he decides to let you see what's going on when I leave, you know you're going to get that portion from me. If you don't see it, it's not yours. It's not mine to give you. And as they still went on and talked, behold, Chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. 
Chariots of fire from the Lord, horses of fire from the Lord. In the Old Testament, very often, when the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah, when people would see him, there would be fire associated with him. It was one of the symbols of the presence of Lord Almighty. And it says, And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. My father, my father, I see it. So I know what I asked for has been given to me. I see the power of the Lord, not just hearing it proclaimed, I see it. And now because of that revelation, I know what I'm walking in. That's what Elisha said here. Draw closer to people who already see. The servant needed to be around someone who had already seen. When we surround ourselves with strong men and women who have already seen, it enables you and I to see better. What would have happened if on that fateful morning, there was a whole bunch of servants around the other servant? In the story, we only see that it's Elisha and the servant. That's it. They're the only two that are going on in this, in this situation. What would have happened if there were 10 servants, all who saw the great army, the great Syrian army outside of the city, all of which thought that there was a problem? Do you think that the servant that saw it, his faith might have gone down even more? Because what does the crowd do very often? Does the crowd typically elevate us? No. The world and the things of this world want to bring down the things of God, want to kill faith, want to squash it in you. And so it is so important for you and I to be surrounded by people that when the wake-up call comes, respond in faith, not in fear. Because haven't you noticed... We feed off of those who are around us. I've noticed this even as a father. I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And if daddy's having a hard time keeping it together because daddy's at the end of his rope, the kids are going to be at the end of their ropes. But when dad and mom are cool and collected, they have their moments, but they, they find the firm foundation in what's around them. So when you get that diagnosis, when your marriage is falling apart, who do you want around you? I want people who have already seen to be around me. I want people that have lived through that battle of illness and have come out healed. I want people that have been delivered. I want people whose marriages have been restored. That's who I need in my corner as I go through these things. Life comes and it comes at you hard. We need them because we all have blind spots. I was backing out of a spot this morning and I almost hit somebody in the parking lot. He was literally in the one little space over there that I couldn't see in any of my mirrors, in any of my anythings. Where's your blind spots? Where's your blind spots in your finances? Where's your blind spots in your relationships? Where's, I've had to have people around me that could see what I couldn't see, that have had to come alongside me and say, Steve, you're doing this wrong. You got to do this better. There's more in you, but you're, you're squashing it by this. That's the power of being around people who already see. My second thought for you today, ask God for greater vision. So draw closer to people who already see and then ask God for greater vision. You see, when this whole entire thing was panning out, Elisha recognized that the root of the servant's fear and the root of the servant's lack of faith, seeing the army surrounding them, was because he couldn't see the fullness of what was going on around them. 
It was the first thing that Elijah noticed about this whole entire thing. So when stuff starts to go wrong, what is our first instinct though? Is it, oh Lord, open my eyes so I can see the totality of what's going on and pray perfectly. No, so often we just go into damage control mode. I see something going wrong. Okay, I got to do this. I got to do that. Maybe I reach out to people and say, hey, pray for me. But I just go into management mode. I go into just getting it done mode to try to deal with whatever thing is coming my way. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 to 11. The apostle Paul says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. In another translation, that word designs is translated as schemes. That word also means a conception of the mind, a thought, a purpose, a device. So the Apostle Paul here uses unforgiveness as an example of something that the enemy can use to keep us, but it's a scheme. It's a device. It is something that is used to create ignorance in us to keep our eyes off the power of the Lord in our current circumstances. We have to ask God for greater vision so that when that wake-up call happens, when that thing comes your way, you don't just go into damage control first. The first reaction in us is to step back and go, whoa, 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 whoa. What is going on here? And I can tell you, in my life, I've noticed over the last couple years, I'm starting to see patterns emerging in my world. I'm starting to see patterns of illness in my family that start when something big is on the horizon. I'm starting to pick up on these things sooner and sooner and sooner so that it's not just the cold that the kids got. It's not just this little thing. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I've heard this song before. Devil, you're not going to do this in my house. I know the way you work in. I'm not going to be ignorant of you. Because what a wake-up call is designed to do when it comes from the enemy is to scare you so your faith turns off. Elisha simply said, oh Lord, let him see. I can tell you one of the most powerful prayers I've ever prayed in my life was, oh Lord, help me see what you want me to see. Not what I think I'm seeing. Not where I think things are going. Not whatever agenda I've created in my head, even how good it is. Lord, let me see what you want me to see. And when you show me what you want me to see through your word, through the people who are around me, and through circumstances, I will respond by faith. That's where we need to get to. You know, our faith is meant to be unshakable. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I like that language, steadfast, immovable. Sounds nice, sounds firm, sounds concrete. How easy is it to live it out? (laughs) Come on, life is life. Now, over your time with the Lord, over your growth in relationship with Jesus, should the same amount of issues throw you the same way it used to? No. We should all be growing in faith. We should all be growing in how we respond to things. But it doesn't mean that those big things don't come. 
I've been in the ocean hanging out thinking it was great and I have been laid out by a wave that I had no idea was coming. Has that ever happened to you? Tumbled around, all confused, like I have no idea what to do. It's interesting in scripture, we actually see this, an allusion to waves tossing you to and fro in Ephesians 4. There's things that come. There's waves that come and hit you. But are the waves that hit you in life actually wake-up calls that are sent to you and you're misinterpreting them as simply bad luck, life, misfortune? How do we we respond to these waves, to these wake-up calls differently so that we're not thrown around as easily? I don't like being out of control of anything. I don't like it. I don't like when I get thrown emotionally by things. I don't like when my own responses catch me off guard. Has that ever happened to you? You're talking, you're doing something, you're saying something, and in the back of your mind, you're going, what on earth is coming out of my mouth? I don't do this. And yet here I am being me. (laughs) It's one of the hardest things, isn't it? What's the answer? How do we see different so that we become steadfast and immovable? in the storm, in the wake-up call. My last thought to you is we look to Jesus in all circumstances. Look to Jesus in all circumstances. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22, it says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down the lake and they were filling up with water and they were in danger. If you're in a boat and it's filling up with water, that's bad. That is a bad day. (laughs) And they went and they woke him and they're like, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. And he looked at them and he said to them, where's your faith? As if I was napping and you woke me up for that? (laughs) Where's your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? See, in this moment, the disciples were fearing for their life. Their boat was sinking. And not only was Jesus not worried, he's sleeping. What was it about this set of circumstances, and what was it about Jesus that allowed him to have rest in the storm? It wasn't just the simple fact that his faith informed him that he could speak to the storm and it would stop. There was more that Jesus knew than simply what, he was, what the faith in him would accomplish, the fruit of what his faith would do. There was more to it. In Matthew chapter 26, it's when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's when, right towards the end of his life, they come to arrest him to put him on trial before he was murdered. And it says this, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of horsemen and chariots of fire or angels? But how then would scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? Just like Elisha, Jesus had already seen. 
Jesus had spent all eternity with the Father in heaven. He knew every single created thing. He saw that army on the hill that Elisha's servants saw because he's God. So when Jesus is sleeping on a boat in the middle of a wake-up call, it's because he sees fully the circumstances that are around him. And it is because he can see clearly that he responds differently. So when you and I are acting like ourselves and responding not the way that we think we should, we look to Jesus because he and he alone can fully see the circumstances that are around us. And because of the presence of the Holy Spirit within us, God can inform the way that we're meant to respond. Amen? In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That word understand there, it means to perceive clearly, to be well-judging, to be sensible, and it means to be spiritually intelligent. Be careful how you walk. Be careful how you walk through the wake-up calls that are coming your way. Be careful how you handle the unexpected news and the hard days so that we can, we're not people that will be unaware and un, 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 and ignorant of how the enemy operates, but people that can respond by faith. So I want to tell you this morning, over your marriage, wake up. Over your children, wake up to what is happening in this world. Over your business, wake up. Over your calling, wake up. Life is too short for us to be unaware of the fullness of what God has paid for us to have. Life is too short for us to sit on the side not saying what the Lord has called us to say. Those that are for us are greater than those that are against us. We need to use the opportunities that life provides us to grow in community by drawing near to the people who already see, to grow in vision by asking the Lord to more clearly show us what it is that's going on around us, and to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Because at the end of the day, everything else could perish and fade away. And yet if I have Jesus, I have everything. Elisha's faith allowed him to pray a bold prayer, and God answered it. Elisha had seen his current circumstances clearly. Elisha knew that the chariots of fire, the horsemen of fire, all of the Lord's power was on his side. Let's believe that when you and I have a more accurate view of what's going on around us, and that as we draw near to people who see, as we seek the Lord that we too would see our prayer life grow. Here's the thing. Some wake-up calls are a work of the enemy, and some are the Lord. When my house was surrounded by U.S. Marshals, when the man's boots were right up at the threshold of my front door that he never crossed over, when he and I stood pretty much chest to chest trying to work through this thing, Do you realize that God was in complete control of that entire event? 
when I was sitting downstairs writing my email, the Lord let them come up the street. The week before, the Lord let them make the decision to raid my house based on not so clear information on their end. The Lord allowed everything. Could you realize that the one person that had to sign off on that little operation, the Lord could have just said, nope, not my will for him. And that guy would have just been, there's not enough information here. You need to dig more before you go to their house like that. The Lord let my house get surrounded by people. And the Lord allowed me to have a wake-up call. What is the Lord allowing you today? What circumstances in your world did you not even realize were the Lord? And yet in his sovereign grace, he's allowed things to happen, to rattle you, to shake you, to wake up the faith in you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison." As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's a great country song that I like called No Time to Kill by Clint Black. And one of the lyrics says, the only cost of living is dying and that's one everybody pays. There's one guarantee that I can give every single person in this room. There will be a day where your lungs take their last breath. There will be a day when your heart beats its last time. And on that day, when you pass through this very thin veil into eternity, there's going to be one question and one question alone that matters. Are you found in Jesus? Or are you found outside of Jesus? And the answer to that very simple question will dictate not the next season of your life. It will dictate your eternity. The things that we look to are not temporal, are not bound by time, but the things that we're concerned about in this moment are the eternal things. And I'd like you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me today as I close. Because there's some of you in this room that if your life were to end today, the answer to the question that I just asked might be that you are not found in Jesus. And I believe that in this moment now, the Holy Spirit's using this message as a wake-up call to you that you need to get right with the Lord, that you need to repent of your sin that separates you from Him and that has removed you from eternity with the Father, and that through the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Christ, you have been forgiven of those sins and can be brought back into right standing with the Lord. This is not something that we just choose. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in this room that is drawing people back home to Him, that is causing your spirit that is dead to come alive. And I believe that in this moment, there are those of you in this room that are sensing that you are coming alive to the Lord so that if you, when you leave this place today, you can say, I am found in Christ. And we're going to say a prayer in a moment, and it is not the prayer that saves you. It is not the order of the words that save you. It is the recognition that on the inside of you, you have repented of your sin, and that the Holy Spirit has caused your spirit to come alive, and that you are born again now, an heir of the promise of eternal life with the Father through the Son. So let's say this prayer together. Lord, I recognize that I am a sinner separated from you, but I believe 
that by the shedding of his blood, by his death, and by his resurrection, Jesus Christ has paid my debt. Today, I am born again. Holy Spirit, fill me, anoint me, and let me hear your voice every moment of my life. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.